Welcome to the Natural Running Network. My name is Richard Diaz, and what I hope to do is introduce you to some amazing athletes and luminaries from the sports science community, and what has come to be expected, I'll provide some highly opinionated rants on all aspects of endurance sports and my current favorite, obstacle course racing. But before I get started, I want to give a shout out to Human Octane. If you're the kind of person who pushes the limit, then you've got to check out Human Octane Apparel. Training and racing apparel designed by OCR athletes and these guys just get it. Everything they make dries lightning fast, has zippered pockets, is abrasion resistant in high contact areas without bulky padding. I've gotten to know these guys and trust me, they're going to out-innovate the competition when it comes to OCR gear. Check them out at humanoctane.com. Now sit tight, grab a cup of coffee, and let's do this. All right, here we are. We're back, and this is going to be, geez, this is going to be probably one of the favorite things I've done in a long time. And we're always struggling to find people to speak with that might be entertaining, people that have pearls of wisdom to share with us. But I've reached back into the archive, and I pulled up an old friend of mine who, quite frankly, should have been on this show a long time ago because, well, shit, he's part of it. I mean, I've got Blue Benedum. And Blue Benedum, aside from being an amazing runner in his own right, in all the years that I've tested athletes, Blue has the standing record for the highest VO2 score I've ever recorded. Now, this is saying a lot given that I've tested literally thousands of athletes from all walks of life. Blue blew an 85 point something. I don't recall exactly what it was, but I do recall that it was over 85 VO2 score, which is absolutely crazy. And this was about seven years ago, somewhere like that, six, seven years ago. And he made a resurgence. He came out to see me recently, had a new project on his doorstep where he decided he's going to go out and do an Ironman with little to no training. And we decided that it might be a good idea to make sure he's on the bike properly and get some good numbers off the bike and on the run. Seven years later, lo and behold, he's still blown an 80, which is absolutely crazy. Aside from all that, Blue is now, has been for quite some time, the head coach for Nike in the Western region. That means he oversees all the coaching for Nike in the West. And that basically covers most all of the Western seaboard with exception of Portland, because that's where the headquarters are. And there of course are Alberto Salazar and folk like that, that are training the elites. But anyway, no further ado, Blue say hello to the audience. Honored to be here, Richard. Really awesome. Thanks man. Thanks for having me. So, Blue, we go back, right? We go way back, man. <laughs> oh, man, the stories. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I think it'd be cool to have you and your words kind of lay out what this natural running network kind of was, what the, what the brainchild was behind it from the very beginning, because nobody knows 
better than you, and of course I, but give people your take on it. Because I don't think a lot of people these days even understand what it is that we were trying to do and why and how it all kind of shook out. Yeah. I, I Can I go back to where to how I met you? Because I think it's, I tell the story all the time, and I think it's really relevant to kind of to what it is that the, the, the Natural Learning Network was trying to achieve. I mean, the way that I met you and the way you kind of described what you did um, with Diaz Human Performance, I love telling that story. So if, if, uh, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll sort of rehash that. Go for it. Yeah, so, you know, I'd run, what, 30-something marathons, and, you know, I was running in the 240s or something like that. and was organizing the Malibu Marathon at the time, and I met you at an expo. And you said, come down to my, my fitness or my sport lab, and let me show you what I do. I remember coming in and doing the VO2 test, and um, he said, yeah, you blew a, you know, you blew an 85, and it's one of the highest I've ever tested, or the highest I've ever tested. Um, are you running a 220 marathon? And I was like, oh, not even close. No, nothing like that. And he said, well, what does that mean to you? I was like, well, I don't know. And he goes, it means you run like shit. <laughs> and I tell that all the time, because it's like, this guy doesn't even know me. He's telling me I run like shit, he doesn't even know me. But lo and behold, we, do the, we jump on the uh, treadmill, do the video analysis, and all the things that I already at that point knew were sort of incorrect. You, you just broke down for me, you know, piece by piece, all the cue points of what exactly was not working efficiently for my, in my mechanics. And um, I still, being sort of that athlete who was pretty good at most sports, was like, okay, well, let's speed that treadmill up, and I'll, I'll nail it the next time we do the video. So you're like, all right, jump up there. All right, sub six minute miles, we're cruising, and now I know I'm nailing that perfect form. Get off, and it was just worse than it was the first time. And that's when it hit me that, holy shit, I need this guy. Like, there's something here that I'm not, there's a connection I'm not making. You know, there's not a neuromuscular connection that, that's, that's clicking here. So that's when I decided, you know, to just really apprentice under you and, you know, figure exactly what it was that you were doing. And the more I, the more I got from you, the more I wanted. And I mean, it just, the, the results were ridiculous. I mean, it was a linear, my PRs were linear after that. I mean, it was like 238, 235, 228, 224, 223. I mean, my marathon just, it, it, it was out of control. And it was because I was running and getting out of my own way. So, I mean, I credit my running from sub-elite to elite. You know, I, I credit that to you and the years that I spent working with you. So, I think the National Running Network to me was essentially that, you know, getting getting runners to just get out of their own way mechanically and then teaching them how to how to basically structure and periodize their, their actual programming. So, um, yeah, and then just getting that information to as many people as possible. Well, as you recall... Am I, am I hitting the nail on the head? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I appreciate your, your, your comments. The thing that I, I think is interesting is you and I had this epiphany. And I don't know whether it's over a couple of beers or what, but, you know, we're just kind of seeing the problem that we see collectively is the level of intellect that's standing in front of these groups that are training for these races was really not that great. I mean, we're talking about people for the most part, and I, I hope I'm not going to offend a lot of people with what I'm going to say next, but it's in my heart and I'm going to say it. It's just basically... A lot of these people like den mothers, you know, they show up on a Saturday morning with a clipboard and they do basically a roll call. Everybody's here. We've scheduled a 10 mile run today. Let's go run. 
No consideration for the level of intensity that brought to the table. No consideration for the way people are moving. No real good feedback and respect to the chronic injuries that are coming about. And you and I kind of said, well, we could probably put together a pretty decent education for these coaches. And we set about doing it. And the game plan was to try to develop a network of quality coaches around the country. We call them natural running coaches that would be able to provide a better level of coaching than was typical. Interestingly enough, you know, we shut it down. I shut mm -hmm. it down early on. It just turned out to be more work than I cared to take on by myself. You got busy. Some of the other key people that we were involved with got busy. And I just didn't feel comfortable trying to hoodwink the whole thing by myself. Where I'm going with this is that look where you are now. As a byproduct of what we did, you're the Western region running coach for Nike. I would like to believe that some of what we did together is part and parcel why you're in the position you're in today. Absolutely. I think, like you said, I mean, we were empowering or we had the ability to empower coaches with all of these things that, I mean, as far back as running has been a sport, it's amazing. And I think it was amazing to both of us that more people weren't treating it as a skill, you know, in, in the mechanics part. And I think, the crazy thing and, and really what we were doing then and what's continued to sort of set me apart from all of my colleagues is that no one else has the balls to go after running and, and say, look, there's a better way to run. And a few people will say it. I mean, you, you have people like, you know, Alberto Salazar is famous for saying, look, you can run better. And, you're, you know, he said that to Dave and Rittenheim after he was already an elite athlete. And they went down to Texas and they went to the you know, Olympic training facilities and they just worked on mechanics. And, you know, there's all, there's still all the naysayers out there like, oh, you're going to mess them up and all this stuff. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it blows my mind though. The results for me have been staggering of the before and afters from, from just looking at the, the pictures and the photos, the videos of how someone looks when they're running to just their, the injuries being, you know, left in their past. I mean, it's unbelievable. And, and it's with that kind of a science, it's still, it's, it's as if people aren't paying attention. I think the coaches worldwide are just not paying attention. So, I mean, you know, me and you can have that conversation and, and look out there and just kind of laugh. And, but it's, it definitely sets us apart, you know. Well, the, the interesting thing, I think, and I, I struggle with it, too. I have a hard time understanding why these elite coaches would sit back and just let it happen. And, and I think there's a certain amount of leaving well enough alone that you almost get concerned that if you disrupt the process that you can cause a problem for an athlete. But I see guys running and, you know, you're probably not aware of this, but earlier in a, in a podcast I did a couple years back with Michael Johnson. And I told Michael Johnson in a podcast that he ran like shit. <laughs> and I love telling the story because it was so funny. He said, he goes, well, he goes, I haven't lost a race since I was six and here he is retired now. And yeah. I'm like, and I'm like, well, I said, but Mike and Michael, by the way, we were we were actually uh, part of the same ilk in that we were sponsored by the same company. Michael, you know, took it on the chin and, and he's got these running mechanic facilities, training facilities all over the world now. And I asked him, I said, would you train somebody to run the way you run? He said, oh, absolutely not. 
So he identified that <laughs> he identified that there was an oddity in the way he approached his runs, but it just worked for him. And but you, there's always going to be an exception to the rule. And I, I could name yep. people, friends of mine that are high caliber runners or athletes that have some serious flaws in the way they're moving, and they're just not about to let go of what they've been investing their entire life in to try to make the corrections and. To be honest with you, I think it's a mistake. Absolutely. And I think that some people, I think there's absolutely variations within everyone's stride to a point. And, you know, but it's, it's what we were doing was identifying very specific cue points that could get people to a better place. I think that the problem is, is that people don't agree on what those points are, right? Even the coaches who are, who are, talking about formula like, oh well you know maybe you should land on your heel and blah 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 but since the days when we were having the you know our first conversations there's been a definite shift i mean i know at nike they bring me into photo shoots to make sure the runners are running appropriately landing midfoot below their center of mass all that stuff because they don't want to put photos out there that you know are, are incorrect running form it doesn't some of the stuff does you know some photo shoots get through the the cracks and you know, I'm not on every photo shoot, so I see some shots that come out, and I'm like, oh, man, wish I would have been there for that one. You know, but, but it's amazing, because back when we were having this conversation, it was like the running world was split. You know, a lot of people were still saying, oh, you got to go land on the heel and roll over the foot. Right. So there's, there's been a shift. Um, I know when I did the USA Track and Field Biomechanics Certification, they, without a doubt, 100% said, you doesn't matter if you're running 100 meters or you're running a marathon, landing below the center of mass on the ball of the foot is the correct way to run. And anything, anything from that is a deviation from running mechanics, true pure running mechanics, and is incorporating some walking mechanics. And I was like, hallelujah, USATF is saying this? Like, it's been, you know, how many years were we having these arguments? Well, that so, makes me feel good to hear. Because yeah. I do, I run into this I a lot. I and, and because, you know me, I'm hard-headed and, and, and I'm heavy-handed. And I'm not one to filter when, I, when I'm thinking. For example, what I see a lot of, as you suggested, there's little bits and pieces of information that are getting through. Just sometimes there's just not a complete picture. So someone will take a little bit of information and not really have the full picture, and then it becomes problematic. So, for example, I just had a fella come to see me just this past weekend from Kansas City. Very commonly, I have people that travel to see me from all over the country. But he had had some serious problems with his Achilles, actually getting some stem cell in injections, things like this, because he had partially torn his Achilles. And he was doing everything he could to try to encourage quicker cadence. But he didn't understand that it was okay and actually preferred to allow the, the, the cadence to open up behind you. So faster for him was exponentially more effort because he was like a buzzsaw. You know, it's like it's like cranking the accelerator on a, a, on a two-stroke engine. <laughs> yeah. he just, his legs are just flying, but they weren't going anywhere. And there was just, yeah. he was harboring so much stress and clearly frustrated because he didn't quite get it. And I could see where someone like that would take that bit of information about being on 180 strides per minute and completely discount it. Say, oh, no, I tried that. It doesn't work. And, and I've had so many people tell me, I can't do it. It doesn't work. 
but they don't know how to achieve it. And some of the information has been left behind, so they, they don't quite have the full picture. Understanding how the heart rate plays into all this, understanding the postural issues and, and the sequence of events when the foot makes contact the ground. It's not really all that simple as we'd like to portray it, but there is a way. There is a way to run, and there is many, 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 many ways not to run. I know you probably haven't had a chance to listen to a lot of these podcasts, but recently I had a podcast with Dr. Irene Davis, and she heads up the Spalding Running Center for Harvard Medical. She is probably one of the preeminent biomechanists in the country. And she said, she goes, let, let me just be clear. There is a way to do this. This is the way it's supposed to look. And she talked about four-foot running, talking about all the things that we, all the nuances that we speak of often. And she laid it out. She says, this is the way to do it. And everything else is wrong. I just found that to be soothing to hear it come from her lips because here's somebody that's got far more credential than I'll ever own. And she had my back on it, which was kind of cool. Absolutely. It's funny, you had mentioned now, you know, having a little bit of information and not enough is one of the most dangerous things that someone can have. And they actually have a word for that in German, and I cannot remember the word. But it, it was something that a mistake that I made initially after meeting you was I understood that what you were saying was absolutely something that I had to do to become a better runner. I just I could just see it. It made sense to me. And I went about making the changes. What I was doing, though, at that time was taking pieces from your, you know, education, and I was basically just applying them to myself, but not holistically, because I didn't quite grasp it yet, and I was very anxious to get it, to get it going, and so I was, I was really jacking myself up, and then you remember, I mean, yeah. I was up on my toes way too much, not yeah. letting my heel come down, I was, I mean, I was, a lot of different things that were going on, and um, I think you're right about it, just you have to, you have to get the entire education, all of the information together is what you're going for, and I think our job is basically to get that to people as efficiently as possible. And I think over the years, we've gotten better at doing that, right? I mean, yeah. we're, we're getting that information across in, in a better, more concise way and making athletes better. Pretty awesome. Yeah, so yeah. what's really interesting too, Blue, is that now um, we took this regional thing, just kind of hanging out here locally and having people come to us and putting on these clinics and what have you. And now I'm traveling all over the country. I'm scheduled to be in New Jersey early part of next month and then we're gonna do a clinic there sold out doing another clinic in Philadelphia sold out coming back to do another clinic here in January sold out and so people are starting to get to this place where they understand there's a, there's a way to do things and there's clearly ways that they shouldn't be doing them and it manifests into these injuries that if you want to get somebody excited about change, hurt them. <laughs> That's all you got to do. Yeah. Jack them up, yeah. man. They'll, they'll they'll come they'll come looking for you as soon as they they get hurt, right? Absolutely. So you absolutely. Um, I just want to share a little bit more about some of the things that you've done. Now, you had the record. I don't know if you still do or whether you even bother to keep doing it. But you you used to have the record for the Lake Tahoe Triple. That's three marathons around Lake Tahoe in three days, all of which were under a three-hour pace. 
When's the last time you've done that? Jeez, I can't remember the year. Um, I think 2011, 2010, something like that. I, I had placed second the first time ever doing the race. I placed third the following year. I was playing with CrossFit that year. Um, and then I came back a couple of years later, and I won the race. And the following year, I really went after it, and I, I just I was way fitter. And I, there was a guy that had come from Flagstaff to beat me specifically. And he went out at like a 5.17 pace. And you're running a marathon every day for three days, right, and at elevation with massive drops and gains. That was what I needed to just really push me to like that next level. And, yeah, so I've, I have, you know, two first-place wins at that race, and I haven't been back since whatever that year that was. But I wanted to go back and set the world record. The world record right now for a triple marathon anywhere in the world is I still believe it's held by a guy from South Africa. Um I think I was third on the list for the, for the world record. Wow. And what is that? What is the, what is the average time? It's, he averaged 242 um, for three days. And it was on, it was on the Tahoe course, actually, when he said it. Wow. 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 Yeah. Not yeah. me. Not me. Yeah. <laughs> So when you're when you're like a, when you're in peak season, how many miles a week do you typically? I should say, let, let me be clear. When you're in the middle of your training, so you've done your build, you're kind of getting to the place where uh, your volume is at its peak. What is the the average weekly mileage look like? I mean, for me, it was my best is around ninety miles per week, and I've. I've played with it to where I really, I got to a cycle where I, I wanted to see what I would do above a hundred miles per week and, and just see how my body felt in that scenario. I mean, I had, had plantar fasciitis that same cycle. So it's a little bit, the science isn't perfect, but I just found that I was, when I was trying to go above a hundred, I was always trying to, it was more about the mileage than the quality of the workouts. So my best running was when I was hitting between 80 and 90 miles per week. Um, averaging about 10 miles per day, most days, and then, you know, a long 20 to 30 mile run on the weekends. Wow. And I've talked about this a lot. Now, I don't know whether you agree with me, but uh, I believe that all runners, if you walk up to a crowd of uh, veteran runners and ask them where their break point is in their volume, they can generally tell you. They know what the limit is in the amount of running they can do in a week before things start to go badly. Yeah, absolutely. I could go into 70, a 70 mile a week for me. is something that's, it's pretty easy to achieve at this point in my running. And, you know, it's over the years of, I don't know if it's just the repetitiveness of the sport and your body just gets so used to that. It's like to go out for an hour run and to get 10 miles in an hour. I mean, that's just a typical day for me. And it's, it's not really too taxing. So a 70-mile week is where I would start. Um, you know, maybe – and maybe to, to really take it easy in the beginning of my base cycle, I would just, you know, start in the 60s and so I'd have a day off or something like that. But it doesn't take very long for my body to adapt to the 70-mile weeks. And before you know it, I'm at 80. And then it's like, okay, well, how much – then you start growing the amount of that high-intensity work, obviously, you know, and start to periodize and going into the sharpening phase and everything gets very specific to – to the race and the paces and um yeah it's i i really do that 90 for me is that number that you're talking about I mean, right I, once i go above that it's it's the diminishing returns you know 
Well, I think yeah. it's I think it's a function of strength to weight ratio and how efficiently you're moving. And I think that uh, well, what I've learned is that the cleaner you run, the more forgiving your body is with the way you run. And I think that that's the case regardless of the intensity. So clearly, greater intensity puts more stress on the body. But if you're running well, your body is still more forgiving than it would be had you run poorly. And I've proved this to be true on more than a few different occasions from a standpoint of your novice runner right on up to elite caliber athletes, you know, with, you know, I know you're, you're friends with Hunter. Hunter was, when I met him, pulling down like 15 to 20 miles a week because he was following the Brian McKenzie workouts with CrossFit. And the idea being, you don't need to put in that volume, you're, you know, just as long as you do all the strength work, blah, 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 blah. And he came around to see me and I turned him right around and said, I need to see you in the upwards of 50 to 60 miles a week. And he's a big boy, which seemed like, forget it, no way can I do that. And I think in his peak volume, after we started working together, he got up to 80 miles a week. And he was at Durango when he was getting that kind of volume in, which is at altitude, as you know, and was doing pretty well with it. Uh, quite frankly, I thought it was too much. And he started to break down around 80. But I'll tell you something that I thought was really pretty interesting. And, and I've, I've got to use her name. So she's going to hear this and she's going to know I, I, I brought it up. But I know you know her. That's why I'm bringing up the name. Is You know little Terry, the, the little Asian girl that trains with us? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I tell you this because you can put a picture on it. Now, she's a little girl, but she's overweight. And she's over 50 years old. Last year, you know, she trains with us chronically. She was with me this morning. And I've, I've, seen her, I've seen her six days a week and have been for years. I've been in her head for the way she runs for the longest time. But being heavy, being older, not being what I would consider even an intermediate runner by any stretch, she would complain about sore, 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 legs are sore, legs are sore. And I, you know, I was always like twisted with what do I do with her? And okay, take a day off or whatever. And just for grins and just out of curiosity, I told her one day, look, instead of taking a day off, what do you say next week we run a hundred miles? <laughs> and she's like, wow, you know, we laugh, right? And so, and then we're running together. And so I'm talking to her while we're running. I said, you know, I said, here's the way it works. You're going to put in six in the morning and then I start showing her how she's going to split it up over the course of the day, a couple split workouts and how she's going to build it up on the weekend. And the, at that point in the road, I think she was getting about 18, 20 miles a week. The very next week, she ran like 65. And the week, wow. af and the week after that, she ran 105. Wow. She, <laughs> she ran 105 miles the very next week. So she went from zero to a million miles an hour in two weeks. The irony of it was that she was no worse for wear. She wasn't any more sore, any more put out than she had been when she was doing 18 miles a week. And I, I attribute this exclusively to the fact that the way she runs protects her. She just doesn't get hurt. She gets sore. 
shoe. Want to die with soreness, but we're not talking about ankles. We're not talking about plantar fasciitis. We're not talking about knees or back. Just basically got away with it. And what I didn't tell you, and I actually shot a video about this because I thought it was so entertaining. She was also cross-training during that time. And three days a week, we were doing 300 squats, 300 push-ups, and a variety of different functional exercises that she was doing tied to the running. So she'll run to six miles to the park we were at, do 100 push-ups that workout, 100 air squats that workout, 100 sit-ups, and whatever else we were doing. And she did that three times in the week. So she in that week, she got 300 of each of those exercises on top of the 105 miles. That's insane. I, I need to go work out right now. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's crazy. You know, uh, it's funny. That reminds me of one of my Tahoe triples. I did um, a, a CrossFit type, of, a similar workout to that, just air squats up times 100, 100 sit-ups, and then 100 push-ups for time as fast as I could at the finish line of every one of the, the marathons for three days. And my fastest was my fastest in that workout was after the third day. My, it wasn't my fastest run by far, um, but it was, it was my fastest workout. And I think it's interesting when you start overloading the body like that. And I, and I do it with my athletes now, like I, you know, I tell them, you know, this is what, this is what you can expect in your long run. It's going to be a 30 mile day. And they're just like, are you serious? Well, why? And there's definitely something to the overloading you know, and the adaptation that happens when you do that. So, yeah, that's interesting. Well, they say whatever doesn't kill you will make you stronger, right? Yeah, and it, it even works sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're here to talk about it, right? Yeah. <laughs> wow. And so, uh, you, know, you know, I know you didn't want to talk about it, but we're going to talk about it anyway. You're going to do an Ironman this weekend, right? And it's, yeah, that's. What do you want to talk about that? It's, it's quite a horrible situation. <laughs> no, I know. But I mean, aside from the um, the comedy of errors that occurred over the last six weeks, getting sick, twisting your ankle, things like that, you call me up seven week, 17 weeks, I think it was, before Ironman and tell me, hey, I'm going to do an Ironman. And I'm like, you mean like you're going to do like a half Ironman? He goes, no, no, I'm doing an Ironman. And I'm like, do you own a bike? You go, no. <laughs> you, don't, you don't own a bike. You know, can you swim? Well, yeah, you know, I surf, you know. <laughs> 17 weeks to go and you decide you're going to do an Ironman. And, you know, unfortunately... Yeah as you suggested to me earlier before we start talking about this is that, you know, you came down with just uh, one thing after another over the last couple of weeks, but you're going to go do it anyway. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, it actually was only 15 weeks. Um, that's what happens when you have too much wine with your buddy yeah. um, at dinner. <laughs> you start talking about Ironmans, but um, yeah, it's, it was definitely not, not enough time to train. I think over that process, because for the first, Man, for the first six weeks, it was seven weeks. It was really consistent, and we were getting way better at everything. And um, but we were we were already seeing like, wow, this is a whole other thing that we just we are we are we getting a respect that we definitely did not have going into it. And and I still have that to this day where it, it's absurd. Each distance is so absurd, and to put them all, all three together like that is just it's unbelievable. And the amount of time that it takes to train to actually be prepared for it is just 
it's crazy. And, and I'm, I'm actually really competitive with myself. So I always want to see what my limits are and, and how hard I can push my body. So, you know, to just go out there and finish something is never quite good enough for me. I really want to see like what I can actually, how fast I can do something. So, um, if this Ironman is going to be actually one of the only times I'm like going to be just there to finish. And I'm going to push myself, but I, you know, there's just the fitness is, is not what it needs to be. So I, I have a feeling I'll want to at some point come back and really give a, re- a real cycle a go and see. But it, the timing, man, how do people have time for this stuff? It's crazy. Yeah, it takes a lot of time. And I think yeah. that uh, the new community that I deal in, which is obstacle course racing, they take on some pretty hellacious weekends. And a lot of them are just not prepared for it. And this is not something you see in Ironman. You know, people look at Iron Man and they just know that that just back to back to back, these are very, very, very difficult and technically challenging efforts that you have to put together. And you can't just go in at half ass. It's not going to work out. You're not going to have somebody help you over a wall or push your bike down the road. You, you, you're going to have to pull it out yourself. And it can get yeah. ugly. You know, you're basically leaking energy for however long it takes to finish this thing. And to manufacture the energy required to complete these distances is just scientifically doesn't even make any sense. So if you happen to pull off, just kind of talking about it, if you pull off, let's just say, given that you're not feeling comfortable with the with the whole thing, being sick and not having been able to train for the past six weeks, let's say you pull off a 12-hour event. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm just throwing a number out there, but... Even if you got under 12, I'm assuming that no matter what happens to you, when you go out and run, you're going to pull down a sub four-hour marathon for sure. And if you pull six hours on the bike, that's nine. Yeah, you should probably get it. The 10, 11 hours I expect you should probably pull off. But let's just say that you're going to bleed energy off at about 1,000 calories an hour average. That's 10,000 calories. And you can't store Jeez. you can't store all that energy in your body, buddy. You can't do it. Yeah. You know, certainly you can't do it where you can access it because it's not going to be coming from fat because you're going to be going out hard the whole way and you're going to be right on the edge of anaerobic the whole time and you're going to be bleeding off sugar till there's no no tomorrow. So it's scientifically it's almost impossible to do. Yeah. Your lactate levels are going to be hopefully supporting you through this and give, giving you what you need in the absence of the sugar you're not able to store. So, yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, man. <laughs> I, it is, it's, it's, a, it's a scientific anomaly. I mean, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense, like you said, scientifically that's even possible. And that's when you're trained, right? So, I mean, I was even when I was really hitting all the training, I, I was still not able to fathom running a marathon you know, and more after many of my workouts where I could barely even walk. I mean, I I was and my training partner as well. We were just like, you know, dumbfounded that it was possible. And I I still am like, yet. I guess once you experience something and, you know, then you see that it actually is possible. But it's, yeah, it's going to be quite a thing. Yes, it will be. So you were at New York and I'm assuming that you were on the clock with Nike given that you were doing that. What's the name of that project? Because I guess I had a little bit of involvement in that project. Uh, I just don't recall the name. Yeah, of it. so we were absolutely. So we're um, this season is is called the Breakthrough Project and the Breakthrough Project, and essentially, 
I don't know if you saw the breaking two attempt earlier this year. I did. But, um, this idea that you know when when the when Bannister broke the four minute mile, how many people broke it very soon thereafter, and the the mental side of sports and how when a major record that tends to be arbitrary when something like that falls, it's more likely to fall much quicker and more often. So they were sort of looking at the two hour marathon in that way. Um, and said, well, let's just go after it. Let's be bold about it. Let's state it to the public. Let's, you know, let's be transparent and just go for it. And um, it's it pretty amazing how close they got in the attempt. Uh, I, I think a lot of people got confidence that it could actually be done because if you look at the conversations back and forth for years, it's been like, well, it's going to be 85 years before that happens. And, I mean, they were within 25 seconds. So it's pretty, pretty incredible. Um, but what it really revealed was, was this concept, concept that, everybody has some sort of a breakthrough uh, potential in whatever they're doing. So whatever your, whatever your perceived limits and goal or your perceived limits of your goals are readjust those, like set them higher than you thought they could be. Uh, so we basically were challenging people to do that. And then we were providing the training programming and the environment to achieve those goals. Uh, so yeah, New York was a piece of that later on this fall or actually this winter in December, we're going to have a big 5K time trial, which we've been training a lot of athletes for, and they'll attempt to go beyond what they ever thought they could. So um, New York, yeah, you, the guy we worked with, Jacques Slade, he went out there. He had never run more than really 5K this spring, and he just put it out there, I'm going to run a marathon. And it, that was crazy for him because he'd never run 10K. I mean, the guy was just – he was a short-distance runner. Um, and you saw it. I mean, his mechanics were horrible. He knew nothing about anything, and he knew that. So – we gave him the tools and unbelievably he, he was cheering coming through that finish line, 345 in his first marathon. Yeah, that's pretty wild. And I would yeah. have never guessed that, you know, I tested him and, and I looked at the way he was running and I pointed it out to you, um, you know, and me being the new guy in the room and not trying to uh, be offensive, but you know, you know me and I looked at you and I pointed at him doing what he was doing and you shook your head, you kind of knew. And I knew that that was, that was on you. That's something you were going to have to work with, but apparently you pulled it off. Cause that's pretty crazy to run the New York marathon on three forty five very first time out, which is awesome. Yeah. Kudos to him, man. He just, he brought it. <laughs> and, and then of course there was Kevin Hart. You worked with Kevin Hart and Kevin Hart. Well, let me restate that you at least provided Kevin Hart with the tools to uh, approach this thing. And he got spanked pretty good. I mean, guts and glory, he got through it. But I think uh, he's got a whole new profound respect for what it takes to run 26 miles. Absolutely. Like, so I actually paced him for in New York. So I was there for every step of it. And it was, um, you know, I, I don't know if you know, but I was, I was part of the run with Hart sort of comedy tour running thing that he did with Nike. Um, we were, he would basically invite people to run a 5k with him on a Saturday morning while he was on tour on his comedy tour around the world. So it was a way for him to get out and get moving because he, he hated running. Um, basically it became this huge thing. Thousands of people were coming out to run these 5k's with him. So wow. he got into, you know, he got in his head, well, let's, we can do more. He's like this running, I hate it, but it makes me a better person. Um, and everybody should run. So he was kept stepping it up and he's like, I want to run a 10 K. So I actually created a 10 K tr training plan for him along with his trainer boss. 
because um, he loves to, to lift weight. He loves to be strong. So we created like a running slash, you know, strength training workout regimen for him. And we did his first 10K in Venice and he killed it. He did it. He did great. At that time, he thought 10K was six miles. So he actually came to a stop at six miles, not 6.2. He's like, I'm done. I'm like, no, dude, you got you point two. You got to keep going. <laughs> but uh, it was pretty classic. But I mean, that wasn't that long ago. Um, and then he was, you know, he just keeps stepping it up. So it's, it's pretty cool to see. I think this, the training cycle was, you know, the mar- jumping from 10K to a marathon is such a huge leap, and no one can really respect the marathon until they've done it. And I think he had to run one to really see, oh, shit, this is real. And I think that's what he kept saying during the race, like, this this pain, this is a different level of pain. This is something else entirely. <laughs> and so while, while he trained for the marathon, he didn't train to a level that he could have trained to. And I think – coming back at it next time because you know he's going to come back for one um he's going to train much harder and and much more appropriate to the marathon specifically uh but i gotta say at mile 15 when the first cramp started to hit he hit both his quads and he just came to a stop and you know it got real i mean we were running between a quarter mile and a half mile at a time before the cramps would come back but kevin hart has heart i mean that guy he he just kept he had the mental game the entire time. There was never a point where he's like, I don't know, man, if I don't know if I can do it. It was always like, I'm here for the test. I want to be tested. I'm here for the pain. Let's do this and bring it on. So yeah. Good for him. It was, it was pretty intense. Yeah. You, you need to get him in front of me. We tried to get him in front of us uh, at Nike when we uh, did the test and the other fellow. But if I think if he would have got some information to work from, if you tell him that, hey, look, if you don't want that cramp to come back and you don't want to have to start crawling when you hit that wall, getting this information would be a big deal for you. And I, I just think that, I mean, I don't know him, so I can't speak on it, but I, I would have to believe that if he had a better sense of what's actually going on and what he could do to, to abate that problem, he'd probably invite that opportunity. Absolutely. I think the VO2 max test would, would also just be a fun uh, you know, fun thing to check out for him. So, you know, at some point it would be awesome to, to make that happen. Well, you know how to do it. You just, <laughs> you just got to get him in front of me. I, I, I'd do it just to, to listen to the guy make me laugh. I'm, I'm sure that'd be fun. <laughs> okay. So uh, a couple things I'd like to cover before we, we shut this sucker down. And you invoked the thought, you said, what's next to me? Maybe we should talk about what's next. And I want to put it on you first, and then and then I'll do what I can to try to answer your question. But given that you've gone through all this, quite a, a running career already, what's next for you? Are, are you planning on building on the competitive nature or where you want to go with what you've been doing and where you'd like to be in, like, say, five years? It's funny that I brought that up to, like, as a great question, and then I did nothing to prepare for, like, even, you know, thinking about that. But... As, as you're asking it, the thing that keeps coming into my head is it's such a philosophical question for me. And maybe it's, it's just this point in my life. But I, I think when you, and I mean, you know way better than me, just having tested so many more athletes and been doing this for so much longer than I have. But you get to the point where you've done a lot, right? And you're looking back and you're like, wow, I've done a lot of this and done a lot of that. And as an athlete, I've done in the marathon, I've done a lot and a lot more than I ever thought I would. And I definitely lost the hunger um, 
in the marathon as far as like seeing how fast I could get. I, I think that, yeah, I could probably be a little faster if I like put together just a little bit better of a cycle. Cause my PR was, was not in a goal race. It was in Boston on a hilly course. And I just, it was just kind of like, it just happened to be my PR, but I, you know, I, I really felt like I had a faster race in me. And I also think that that, that you always feel like that as an athlete, you always think, well, I could have been a little faster. So I'm, I'm pretty much okay with where I'm at. If I never run another marathon, I've run 60. The one with Kevin was my 60th. Um, if I never run another marathon, I'm, I'm totally content with that. So, yeah, as an athlete, I'd be okay to hang it up. At the same time, I say this as I'm about to go into an Ironman. So um, I'm very competitive, and I'm going to keep I'm going to keep putting myself into different arenas. I don't know. I might do an OCR race. We'll see. Uh, but as a coach, I think I think the question is a little bit more interesting is like, as a coach and just as a sport, like where are things going? What's next? And it's a harder question. I don't have a great answer for it. I, I think I just want to keep pushing the envelope and seeing how, how much further we can push the, the mechanics and not so much how much more we can squeeze out of the mechanics themselves, but more how, how many people we can spread it to because it, you know, it's, it's still 90% of people I see are just not even close, you know? Right. That's so. true. Well, let me just offer you before I, incidentally, I didn't prepare either. Just to, <laughs> it's, it's an even playing field here. But let me just yeah. say this, uh, knowing you, and I've said this to many people, and I'm going to say it to you right now. I think you could very easily get, well, I don't know if easy is a good word to use, but I think there's a, <laughs> there's absolutely a teen in your marathon. I, I'm looking at, I don't know, if I had to speculate, I'd say 215, 216 is in your wheelhouse. And I think it's going to be a function of adjustments in the way you move, slight adjustments in the way you move that are going to bear big fruit. Because it's not a, yeah. func it's not a function of your fitness. We've already discussed you had the highest VO2 score I've ever seen. And it's never, even when you suggest you're not fit, you're really, really fit. You're probably, I've said it before, you're probably one of the strongest marathoners I've ever met. And, and I'm talking about strength, not just a spindly, you know, Ethiopian style runner. We're talking about somebody that's pretty strong. So, and I've tried to talk you into OCR because I think that's definitely something that you'll have a lot of fun with. But I think yeah. you've got a, I think you've got a sub 20 in you 220 I, I'm, I'm thinking like 216 217s there and i don't think it would take that much to get it out of you i think it almost piss you off when you get it uh when you think about what you've oh, done to, tr to try to get it and that's just me well I need, I need a coach yeah well i know i'm just saying if i go <laughs> if you uh if you decide that that's something you want to try to do then you know i'm your boy i'll help you with it but back to me well that makes things more interesting yeah, yeah. Back to me. I mean, as you know, a couple of weeks from now, I'll turn 65. And yep. it's hard for me to wrap my head around that. I've gone through so many changes with who I am and the way my body has fared. And that's just been a long, long fight, man. And uh, I get up, you know, I was out this morning trying to get a little exercise. And uh, I've been, I was out. This Saturday, I was up in Mulholland, you know, trying to get some work done. A couple hours, I don't know, two, a little over two hours worth of on my feet, getting up on the, on the hills. And I always throw myself out there and try to get something. And every now and then I'm rewarded 
it'll it'll allow me to get a little something done. But it's ugly. I mean, from a standpoint of getting out there and getting it done in my own respect, grading myself, it's like, damn, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I mean, not that I don't want to do it or I don't physically want to try or it's just my body's not, it's letting me down. It's just not letting me do what it used to do. So I'm okay with it. I've made peace with it because there's such an interesting world that I live in now where I get to live vicariously through guys like you. For me, what's really going to get me up in the morning is getting a guy like you to pull out that 216, 217 marathon where so far it's been insurmountable. You had to work so hard to get so far and it just seems like it's just too much work for you to want to keep trying. If I got you there, that would be big for me. And I've had a lot of people I've had an opportunity to work with that I've been able to help them achieve what you suggested was these breakthrough moments. And uh, that's just my calling now, you know, and I'm, I'm so good with it. I'm having such a good time with it. I'm not looking for retirement. I'm not looking for, well, geez, uh, going to have that rocking chair soon. I'm living the life. I'm, I'm having more fun now than I've had in a long time. I'm traveling around, getting to meet a lot of new people. And I enjoy what I'm doing. And the best part about it is I owe no one nothing. I mean, I don't have an employer that's, you know, beating me down or, or having me do things I don't want to do. If I don't want to do something, I don't do it. And I'm fortunate. I'm actually blessed that I'm able to live the lifestyle that I live without having anybody to hold rain over me. So I'm in a good spot. And I really, really enjoy this OCR community. And I, and I think that one day we're going to get you out there for one of these and it's going to open you up because, dude, you're still young. I mean, at the end of the day, you're not even 40 years old yet. And I think you got a good solid 10 years worth of good competitive fun left in your wheelhouse before you start to start talking like me. But that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Richard, I love the perspective, man. And it, it, perspective is everything, right? I mean, it's, yeah. I think where you've gone and, and how you live is, is, is a definite inspiration to me. Um, so thank you for the guidance that you've shown me. You've been opening doors for me since I met you. So, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable, man. I, I owe you so much in my career and, you know, my, my athletics and my life. And I, I too, feel so free that I, you know, what an amazing way to live where you don't have to, you know, answer to, to a boss all the time. And it's, it's an incredible experience in this life. And I owe you a lot of it, dude. It's, uh, it's, I'm honored to call you a friend and a mentor. So, well, you're giving me chicken skin. <laughs> so you had to come to Mexico with me and celebrate my 65th. You're going to be down there anyway. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. When's your birthday exactly? Uh, December 3rd. I'm going to be in, I think it's called Hultaco. It's uh, down there, very near Guatemala. Uh, about uh, about ten of us are going down there, and we're going to tear that sucker up, man. I mean, wow. it might be, you know, I'm here. I am filling out paperwork for me, for Medicare, Social Security. <laughs> yeah, buddy, you know that's oh, just man. that's just not fair. Yeah. Well, that sounds epic. I'm December third. I'll be. Uh, we're doing our big breakthrough time trial. All right. But uh, we'll think of maybe me. right after that. I'm gonna be yeah, doing. Absolutely. I'm gonna be doing my breakthrough too. I'm gonna to break through. Yeah, another, exactly. Uh, the the cork on another bottle of tequila and uh, 
a big fat Cuban and cigar. A cigar. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely how'd I, right. How'd I know. Yeah. Well, look, Blue, listen, uh, really enjoyed having you on the show. It's been a long time coming. And, uh, yeah, let's get together. Let's get together. We, we got to start spending a little more time together because it's been a while. And, uh, you know, you don't want to run a marathon? Fine. I'm okay with that. Let's get you into OCR and get you to show these guys what uh, Blue can do. You got a deal, man. We're, right. Whatever we do, whether it's a marathon or OCR, we're doing something. All right, bro. I'll, tell you, I'll commit to that right now. All right. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.